You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about other aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of every one of my podcast episodes, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. This week, I want to ask anyone who enjoys this podcast to please review it wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have a few minutes. Thanks so much to those that have already done so. It does not need to be a long review. Just a couple of sentences would be super useful. Reviews really help the podcast find new listeners and bump it up in the various algorithms. I greatly appreciate your support as I continue to grow this show. Today, I am chatting with Adele Myers about the Tobacco Wives. Adele grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, and has a journalism degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The Tobacco Wives is her debut novel and is based on her childhood in North Carolina tobacco country. For those of you who live in Houston or near Houston, my literary salon, Conversations from a Page, is hosting Adele with Kathleen West on April 7th in the morning. The link to the event is in the show notes if you are interested in learning more or if you want to attend. We would love to have you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Adele. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Adele. How are you today? Hi, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. I'm so glad you're here. I loved The Tobacco Wives. I actually read it a number of months ago, so I had to get it back out to review it today before we chatted, but it is just such a beautiful book. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I feel like it's been everywhere. I keep seeing it on all sorts of lists, so that has to make you very happy. It does. It does. It's, you know, it's my first novel, and so it's a bit surreal to <laughs> to see it, you know, showing up on lists and and, you know, people are starting to review it, uh, some of the advanced copies. It's it's really exciting. That's wonderful. Well, before we start diving into all of my questions, why don't you just tell me a little bit about The Tobacco Wives for those that won't have read it yet? Sure. So The Tobacco Wives is the story of a young seamstress in 1946, North Carolina, who inadvertently discovers some dangerous truths about big tobacco, about the big tobacco town in which she lives. It's told through the eyes of, she's 16 years old, Maddie Sykes, She's just lost her father in World War II, and her mother basically has a breakdown and abandons Maddie at her great aunt's house in Brightleaf, North Carolina, which is the tobacco capital of the South. 
And so, you know, Maddie is initially really kind of just wowed by the glamour of the wealthy tobacco executives in town and especially their wives, the tobacco wives, the women who everyone call the tobacco wives. But she soon learns that, you know, life isn't quite as perfect as it appears for these women and, you know, finds herself as she's drawn into their world, uncovering some dangerous information that she has to decide what to do with. How did you decide to write about this? Well, it was inspired actually by my childhood. I grew up in North Carolina and spent a lot of time in Winston-Salem, which is the home of R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And my parents actually met at R.J. Reynolds High School. (laughs) I have a charm bracelet with a big R on it from their junior-senior prom, and it stands for Reynolds. (laughs) So my family has you know, really deep connections to, to tobacco and to that, that industry. And the seed of the idea came from the fact that my, one of my grandmothers was a hairdresser for the wives of RJ Reynolds tobacco executives. And I just always found, like, I just thought there was something fascinating about that. And also about the relationship between a hairdresser and their client. And you know, the the class difference in many cases that takes place. And so I wanted to, you know, explore that dynamic. And I thought, gosh, that, you know, what would, what would my grandmother hear from, you know, these wives? And, you know, what if, what if the story was around the time the science about the dangers of smoking started to come out? Like, so that's, that was kind of the, the seed of the idea that led to the tobacco wives. And I'm assuming you had to do a lot of research. I did quite a bit of research. And some of it involved just talking with my family members and, you know, even talking with my father. And, you know, it's interesting, like, I don't think I even realized how much he knew about that world at at that time. When he was a teenager, he actually worked in the cigarette factories during the summers. And my grandfather, his father also worked in the factories. And so there are details that come out in the book that are pulled directly from their personal experiences. And then in addition to, you know, talking to multiple family members, I I'm really always inspired by old photos and videos and so I really kind of immersed myself in that time in history and also in like tobacco farming. I mean, I love when I read a book to learn about a world that I know nothing about or I know very little about and so it was important to me to to make sure that I, I added those elements, you know, about how tobacco's grown. And, you know, there's something, there's a condition they call the green monster when tobacco can seep into your, your hands and actually make you sick while you're farming and picking just the leaves without, you know, smoking them, it can actually make you sick. So those kinds of things, you know, inspired me and, and really, I hope, will give my readers kind of a new lens on this world. Some of those details were just horrifying. I mean, obviously <laughs> yes. for us, you know, we we know a fair amount about the harms of cigarette smoking and tobacco and all of that. But still, there were some of those things, which I guess is what you were just literally saying. You want to teach the reader some of these things, like the fact that just touching it and picking it was making them sick. And then just the factory workers, like that was not a pleasant job. Mm-hmm. It's very hard work, like backbreaking work. And, you know, the conditions like breathing in the dust and all of that, 
was really horrendous as well. You know, even the the part about the mint and the cigarettes that I focus on in the book are being made for women, which is something that the tobacco companies did and did very well is to find a niche market and then create a product that will appeal to that market. And so, you know, a mint mint flavored cigarettes were very popular at certain points, but the process of making those, you know, my father actually told me the story about like walking into the factory floor and his eyes, like it just stung his eyes so badly. He had to like walk outside after a few minutes and take a break. And so a lot of those details, yeah, were just were really illuminating for me as well. Well, I always find this conflict that's raised by a business that employs most of the community and, you know, names schools and provides parks and whatever else in that community is also the business that is poisoning the community. And mm-hmm. so, you know, like DuPont and logging and this, you just think it happens over and over again. And it's so depressing mm-hmm. and so scary. And I just always want to be like, you know, people leave, but I guess you can't necessarily leave, but it's just awful. It is awful. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and and also trying to come to terms with how would the characters react once they find out? Because it's so hard for us to imagine because right. we know that cigarettes and smoking is dangerous. But, you know, I talked to, to a number of people and I said, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that they didn't know. And they said, no, we really, we had no idea early on that it was dangerous. And, you know, everyone smoked. And if you look at old advertising, which I also did a lot of research into that because that plays a role in this book. You know, they had doctors recommending cigarettes. I was just going to say that, which is just so crazy. Like when we go through at my kid's school, they have all sorts of, I don't know what you want to call them, but like teachings, videos and things about not doing drugs, not smoking. And they Mm -hmm. show these doctor videos where doctors, you know, these old videos where doctors are literally saying, go ahead and smoke. It really helps you, helps with weight loss, helps with this. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And then the other thing that really struck me as I talked with with folks about this is just how incredibly proud they were. And I think I felt this as a as a young girl also. You know, the whole town of Winston-Salem was built on tobacco money and taxes from tobaccos funded everything. And even the design of the downtown is, you know, designed so that, you know, the railroad pulls right up to the back of the tobacco warehouse and the bank is across the street and like everything was built and the whole infrastructure was supported by tobacco money. And I also think there's just something very sad and heartbreaking about the fact that, you know, people had such pride and they worked so hard and they built this, you know, and it ended up hurting people. And so I hope that the Tobacco Wives brings that to bear because I think a lot of the stories that and movies out there about big tobacco you know, are kind of straight up like vilifying (laughs) everything that went on. And I I do think that there's this period of not knowing. And then, you know, I think the struggle, which I wanted to get this right, because I, I was, I said to myself, like, how could, how could the president of this company, like not do something about this? But I think, I think when you're in that position, you're in denial to a certain extent. And then you also are probably, you probably think that there's this greater good and that the greater good outweighs the bad in order to rationalize that. I don't know. That's the part that's always really hard for me, is that not only is it a bad thing and they don't want the news to get out, but a lot of times they just completely cover it up. And you just have to wonder about their motives. 
Yes. No, it's true. And I do think that there's a line that's crossed when it becomes, yeah, it's criminal. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's wrong. It's criminal, you know, and like you said, it's, it happens over and over again in different industries. I was just following the case of Elizabeth Holmes and, you know, that whole Mm -hmm. thing with her company that, you know, the blood testing company that, you know, I think initially she probably did really want to do something good and, you know, and it took a turn and, you know, I guess it's just, it's human nature, greed, whatever you want to call it. Pride. I think in her case, it was also pride because she had been saying for so long she was going to do this and she just couldn't admit that it wasn't going to happen. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. And she was, there were such expectations for her that she was this wonder kid, you know, that was going to solve this huge, huge need. Right. Yes, because I hate having my blood drawn. I would love to have just my finger pricked and have that take care of everything. So yes, I do think she probably just didn't want to have to admit. But back to these tobacco executives, you know, not only did they learn long before everybody else did that what was happening was harming, but then they made fake studies, they covered everything up. I mean, they made it for so long. It was still such a battle. I mean, they were the original fake news. Right. They really were. You know, and I've spent, I mean, I've written for many years on the side and, you know, been working on this novel for many years, but I also have worked in public relations and advertising for the last 20 plus years. And so, you know, that part of it was also fascinating to me, the role that marketing and advertising and the techniques that were used in order to, you know, shape public opinion. And, you know, thankfully, in the years since since that time, there are more regulations. You know, the Federal Trade Commission eventually, you know, outlawed cigarette advertising in magazines and television. But, you know, it's interesting because the the tobacco companies just found workarounds and they put all their money into radio or they started sponsoring events. And, you know, and I think it's something that we even see today. I did a little research on Jewel. I was just thinking about that. That's <laughs> so vaping. funny. You literally read my mind. Really? Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting because they are being accused of the same things that, you know, I wrote about in the Tobacco Wives. They basically they claim that they're not marketing to teens and to young people. And originally, you know, vaping, those devices were designed to help people quit. So it was kind of like a you know, a transition product is how like stopgap exactly how they talked about it. And it's like a, a less dangerous alternative, you know, to help you kind of get to the point where you can quit. But they came out with all these flavors that would appeal candy apple and whatever <laughs> that are clearly going to appeal to a younger demographic. And their whole social media presence is very young. It clearly is targeting this younger market without admitting that it's targeting the market. So there was actually a court case recently, and I believe that they had to get rid of some of their flavored products because of it. Well, and I think all of these studies are now coming out that show that sometimes vaping is even worse, like your lungs are Mm -hmm. just destroyed. Right, right. So I've sat through all those videos as well. Yeah. (laughs) Which is good. I mean, you know, I think it's wonderful because I know my oldest is a junior in college. And when she was in middle school, she was not vaping, but people were starting to and then into high school. But I think a lot of that has stopped now. So at least the messaging is getting out. Yes, I I agree with that. I think it is. But it is just so annoying that the same pattern happens over and over again. It also makes me think about the opioids and the Sacklers and the way, you know, his, all his marketing. I mean, he was a master marketer. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that came to mind quite a bit. Yeah. Kind of what they knew and when they knew it, I think is critical in both cases, because with 
tobacco and with cigarettes, it was about cigarettes being addictive. And that's something that the tobacco executives claimed that they did not know or did not believe. And, you know, the same thing with, with opioids. It's like to not know that people are abusing this product is just <laughs> boggles the mind. You'd have to have your head in the sand. Yes, you would. Well, back to your book. Did you have a favorite character to write and a least favorite character to write? And a lot of times least favorite really more means the hardest character to write. I would say my favorite to write was Cornelia. And for those of you who who haven't read the book yet, she's an older woman who's kind of a crotchety, difficult, seemingly difficult person who ends up actually taking Maddie, the main character, under her wing and and really becoming a mentor to her. So I, I really enjoyed writing her. Gosh, least favorite? Mm, never gotten that question. I would probably say Dr. Hale, who, you know, is really kind of the villain. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's easy to overdo or it's it's easy, um, you kind of have to watch out for making a villain too one-dimensional and making them all bad. And so I had to kind of dig a little bit as I developed his character so that, you know, there was a reason for why he did what he did. And not that it was justified, but that you could you could see where, you know, the reader could understand him enough to understand why he might do what he did. Yeah, why it might have happened. I'm always shocked when I read about that time period and there's a doctor and women are going to see them that women had so little rights or responsibilities related to their own body. Like their husband could be told everything or their father or whomever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's just crazy. It was. I mean, and, you know, and even, you know, being believed as far as, you know, symptoms or what they were experiencing. I mean, a lot of what I read and what I saw, you know, women were often dismissed. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's something that still happens today. And the other thing that was that was really interesting to me and alarming is that a lot of the research that was done only, you know, the research subjects were only men. So the initial studies that were done and the first studies with cigarettes were around lung cancer. And they only studied men. And, you know, the first Surgeon General General's report to come out about the dangers of smoking only focused on men. <laughs> and it took another 16 years before they came out with a Surgeon General's report focused on the effects of smoking on women. That's just unbelievable. Right? It really is. And then pregnancy. I'm sure pregnancy was kind of then even later. Right. It was. And, you know, I took some liberties in the book with the timeline for sure. And I decided to focus in on the effects on pregnant women and babies, you know, but in reality, the, the lung issues are what came up earlier and first. But, you know, even today, there are certain studies and even like kind of established treatments, like for instance, you know, taking an aspirin a day for heart issues is something that has been around forever. That, I believe, unless, unless it's changed since I last looked, that has never been studied in women. That is based on a study of men. Really? Yes. Well, and now I know because my dad is older that they actually tell him not to do that anymore. Do they? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Some of these things that people have lived with forever, like that's a great idea. Now they're looking at some of them and thinking, hmm, maybe not. Right, right. But, you know, women's bodies are, yeah. you know, there's so many differences <laughs> that it's kind of mind boggling, but I think it's a reflection of the times and, you know, at that time 
they were not the priority. So, you know, I think it's definitely changed for the better, but it's, you know, it is something that I don't think I was as aware of until I started researching for this book. Well, and that circles me back a little bit to what I said earlier. When people are living in a town where they are being poisoned, I can understand, I guess, as an individual that I'm, you know, I think, okay, well, it's just me. But once I'm a mom and I have children, I can't imagine leaving my children in that environment. Absolutely. And I guess I just struggle with that. You know, I just don't understand sometimes how people don't make a change. But I think maybe part of it is what you were just saying, the marketing and the fake news, and they're not even believing it's actually true. Right. I think they don't want to believe. And I think initially what they did is they they chose not to look too deeply and and also to, you know, they they didn't want to believe that their product was also, you know, harming people. So it was always, oh, it's, you know, someone else or some other brand of cigarettes or whatever. So a lot of denial, a lot of rationalizing. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And like you said, you're proud of what you're doing, so you don't want to believe that it's harmful. Right. I went to school in Durham, and I think there's a oh. Brightleaf Square there, and I kept thinking about it all the time when I was reading Brightleaf. I think that's the name of the big square there. I Well, I went to school at Chapel Hill, so um, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I would not be surprised because Brightleaf is a type of tobacco that was discovered. It was actually... It's a it's a way to cure tobacco that creates bright leaf tobacco. It's kind of a variety that was kind of accidentally discovered in North Carolina. And I ran across the story of that when I was, you know, researching and developing the book. And so that's where the name uh, of the town came from. Got it. In Durham, I think it's two old tobacco warehouses and they've converted them to shops and restaurants and stuff. But even when oh. I was there many years ago, it was, you know, already bright leaf square. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, your cover, as I have told you many times on social media, I (laughs) absolutely love your cover. It's what very first caught my attention about the book before I even knew what it was about or anything else. William Morrow hit it out of the park with this one. They did, didn't they? I'm so thankful to my editor, Liz Stein, and her whole team. Um, I think they achieved exactly what I envisioned and hoped to achieve with the cover. I actually have a friend, and when she saw it, she said, it's like a Lily Pulitzer dress with a hand grenade in the pocket. (laughs) I just loved that. I thought that is the perfect way to describe it. I know. I loved it, too. I loved it, too. It's like you have these, you know, prim and proper women, you know, society's elite who have this knowledge that could literally (laughs) blow things up. And I just loved that it kind of captured, you know, the disparity, like the image versus the reality of life at that time, and also what it was like for women, because even these, you know, wealthy, privileged wives of tobacco executives, they had very little real power. I mean, they they had influence, but, you know, at that time in the South and, and in other parts of the country as well, women didn't have the means and, you know, the rights that they do now. Well, and the other thing about the cover, like the tobacco leaves and flowers look so pretty, and the lighter Mm -hmm. is actually a beautiful lighter. So it's like both things are so pretty, but they really hide the ugliness behind them. Exactly. And I'm just happy it's not a woman looking away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because I have grown quite weary of that. So I was so happy that it was historical (laughs) fiction, but it had its own creative cover. Yes. No, I love it. I actually got a manicure, and I had them like do a design 
that was inspired by, by the um, the flowers, and it was gorgeous. <laughs> How fun. You need to do that for your book launch. I should. I should recreate that for my book launch. You really should. And you can be like, look, my nails match my cover perfectly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? I am. I've started to actually research two different concepts for my next book, and pretty certain I've landed on one. And um, I can't talk much about what I'm doing, but I will say it, it's, you know, set in the South and involves another kind of cover up situation. Okay, good. Well, I'm very intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked? What have I read recently? So I, I finished um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo recently by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And I really enjoyed that. I don't know if you've read that, but it's you know, this aging and reclusive Hollywood movie icon is kind of telling her the truth of her life. And and I read that it was uh, based on Elizabeth Taylor, right, and her life. So I just thought it was fascinating being, you know, transported back to that time of old Hollywood. And so I really enjoyed that. And I am, I'm reading right now, The School of Good Mothers by Jessamine Chen. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I have been so curious about that book. <laughs> um, it's good. I'm about a quarter of the way in, I would say. And I'm finding it really fascinating. And also, she's a she's a debut author as well. I'm on a little bit of a debut streak as well. I read The Maid recently, too, by Nita Prose. You're like the fifth person to mention The Maid. That's one of those <laughs> books that is just kind of all over the place. It's funny. There are trends. Like The Exiles was like that. And um, I think Fiona's last book was like that. It's funny. I just kind of have a wave of people recommending the same book. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But The School for Good Mothers is really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm just a little bit into it. But, you know, I think being a mother and kind of trying to be a good mother and, you know, I don't know if you know much about the premise, but, you know, basically this mother is leaves her child for a very brief period and to go to her office and, you know, the authorities find out that she left the child alone and she has to be sent away to this school to learn how to be a good mother and separated from her child. And it's really, really fascinating. It really sounds like it. I like those kind of stories a lot usually. So that's why I've been intrigued with that one. I didn't know what it was about originally. And then when people started talking about it, I was like, oh, I maybe should have picked that one up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm interested to see where it will go. <laughs> Well, Adele, thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I loved your book, The Tobacco Wives, and I can't wait for everybody else to read it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you know your interest in the book and for giving me this forum to talk with, with, uh, with readers. So thank you. Absolutely. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, Please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. 
The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.